Hello, want to venture the words where we explore storytelling in all its forms. I'm Rob. I'm Kate. And we're back after my little adventure through my Kindle library that took me slightly by surprise. Yeah, um, thank you to Rob for doing a solo podcast last week. Despite having a week off, it turned out that I picked probably the worst week to have a holiday because it turned out it was absolutely baking hot, um, which in theory could be a good thing, but actually it was so hot it was just ridiculous and it turned out it basically frazzled my circuits or something (laughs) and um, it got to about Thursday and then at that point um, I sort of stopped functioning properly, so that was a bit weird, so sorry about that folks, but I'm back again, hooray, I seem to be working within normal parameters again mm, normal for you pretty yeah. well yeah normal for yeah. me obviously you know within the usual caveats enough to record a podcast so that's good so um i'm back again and we've got we've got a question which has come in to do with young adults so i'm going to talk about it briefly now and then come back to it again with the next ya podcast which will be returning again with normal programming this time round after a short break which allowed Darren to actually move to London and get his head round how life is down down south. Down south. Um, yep. And uh, then we're going to be talking um, a little bit about the Man Booker Long List because we realised we haven't really talked at all about that particularly yet. And then we're going to be talking a little bit maybe belatedly about holiday reading lists Mm, as we're off on holiday soon so why don't you kick off with the question so who is this from so the question is from sarah who i assume is sarah l based on her email so thank you very much sarah for emailing in and she says hello i recently found your podcast and i've been enjoying it so much thank you very much i'm glad you enjoyed it all the different kinds of YA genre and categories that you cover are great and helpful for expanding the type of YA books that i read well i'm really glad that you find it helpful we try and cover a a really wide range of different things because i think like we talked about it on the podcast that YA is really more of a age category rather than a genre in itself and it covers all the normal genres that you'd find in children's or in adult books so within that you've got kind of non-fiction and fantasy and sci-fi and you know kind of contemporary drama and all those sort of things so we try and cover them all and the different things within that So her question is, um, I did have one question or more like a discussion point to sort of ask the experts on. Hopefully we can help. Um, Whenever I read YA set in a modern setting, such as Eleanor and Park Remix or 13 Reasons Why, um, I get understandably sad, upset and connected to these stories of young adults being in abusive homes, poor family backgrounds or going through some sort of trauma. Um, So um, the shorthand for those is often contemporary YA. So if you hear people talking about um, a contemporary YA story, they tend to mean something that's set in the modern day. And those are often the ones that people talk about having some kind of issue within them. So those actually tend to be the ones that I read slightly less of. um, But uh, my co-host Darren um, probably reads more of those than I do. So this is why um, it's probably a good idea to discuss this a bit more um, between the two of us. My question is then, and this is coming from an older YA reader. Are there any YA books that show uh, in healthy ways characters getting professional help? 
My heart aches for characters like Ruby in Remix, and I can imagine there are people who read the book who really connect with her. It leads me to wonder whether there are books where readers can find characters that are from broken families, abusive situations, or simply going through rough teenage years getting help. Perhaps I'm simply being too nitpicky and getting too emotionally involved, but I'd love to hear any suggestions you might have. Thank you again for your lovely podcast. Thank you for saying so, Sarah. That's very kind of you. You're giving me great titles to add to my reading list. Well... Again, thank you very much for writing in with your questions. And it's so nice to get comments and questions and it makes us think. Um, straight away off the top of my head, um, I would say um, in a book like um, The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness, one of the main characters suffers from, or not suffers from, but experiences um, an obsessive compulsive disorder or um, obsessive compulsive um, feelings and goes to regularly uh, see a therapist and that's a really positive experience for that character. It's a difficult experience as anyone who's ever been to see a therapist will testify. It's not always a nice thing at the time but that's generally portrayed as a positive thing that that character does. The other thing that I would say is that often you will see teenagers in contemporary YA going through quite negative things because I think at the time when you are a teenager in those situations and certainly I I feel I felt like this when I was a teenager everything does feel quite negative and dramatic hmm. yeah and I mean I don't know if you felt like that when you were a teenager well, lots of drama when you were a teenager isn't there the yeah. smallest thing can be a drama yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, and that's that's not to patronise anyone who is a teenager, because it's, it's it is because, yeah. incredibly important. And well, it's because you, you haven't know. had the perspective that you get as you basically get older. Yeah, yeah. And that, but also at that time, what as as you get older may seem like you know not not such a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Those are actually incredibly significant things, and you don't have an awful lot of life experience at the time to base those very important decisions on. So they are big deals. Mm. Whether, you know, whether in the future you're going to have more life experience or not, it doesn't actually matter at that point. They are very important. And um, you do have a lot of hormones going around your body. That's a fact that, again, that's not being patronising that is actually just true you are an emotional you know and that's for boys as well as girls that's not a, a kind of gender specific thing you are going through it's I mean it seems ridiculous thinking about it you're going through making decisions that are going to affect the rest of your life at a time where you're still you're still actually going through puberty you're being expected to take exams that are going to to some extent define the rest of your life there's all these things that is incredible an incredible amount of pressure there's also lots of external pressures in terms of your personal identity there's all sorts of reasons why despite the fact that in theory it could be the happiest years of your life and in some ways only some people do have a great time but there's also a lot of reasons why it might not be necessarily a very happy time um i know i had some great times but i also had some very not great times so i think it is fair enough 
for contemporary YA to portray things that are not happy as well. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think that is a fair point to say if people are in situations where they could be able to access help in the real world, it might be good to show them accessing help. I guess something else to say would be writers are there to show a story and there's the the sort of adage that if you have no conflict it's boring what mm. is it something paint, yeah. um nice paints white or what's that phrase i can't think of the right phrase now but um you know basically if there's no conflict it's not an exciting story so yeah. if someone is experiencing a really bad situation and you just had them go and see someone and they just sorted it out, it wouldn't be as exciting. And I know that's not that great, but that it, that is true just in terms of a plot line. Um, so that's one tricky thing. But um, so, I'm going to put my thinking cap on. Yes. So I've thought of one book straight away off the top of my head, which is The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness, which is his most recent novel for young adults, which is a, a sort of slightly science fiction-y kind of pop culture-y. Uh, imagine like something like Buffy or Smallville or something like that, where you've got some people who are involved in exciting supernatural things, but this is about the other people... Uh, the rest of us who were just trying to get by and just trying to survive high school, the ordinary people. I found it very funny because I used to watch things like Buffy and programmes like that. Um, so I, it was quite fun seeing the story told from the perspective of the other people, the the ones that aren't in the Scooby gang, basically. Oh, fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So that's one example, it, which is not exactly a contemporary novel, um, because it does have those supernatural elements, but they're mainly happening to the the kind of Buffy type people, and the main characters are more the normal type people. Mm. So that's one example. So you are setting yourself and Darren a bit of homework for the next one. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there we go. Well, thank you for your email. Yeah, thank you very much, Sarah. Which brings us on to we'll quickly go through the long list for this year's Man Booker Prize. Indeed, I'll just get that up in front of me now so um it's a book a dozen which is means 13 yeah (laughs) always means 13 yeah for literary judges they can't count presumably but we'll go we'll go through these uh now i've not really read many i don't think i've really actually made any of these so we're going to quickly whiz through these and also uh, do a quick bit about the synopsis yeah you're gonna have to put your uh, work hat on um yeah i am a little bit because of the 13, six of them are published by Penguin Random House in the UK. We've actually done quite well because we've managed to have seven of the 13 in our flat already. Um, we well, yeah, as in you and me. Yeah, yeah you and I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For, well, I mean, it, it helps that four of them are published by Vintage. Well, that always helps. Yes. So, <laughs> so, yeah. Should we let's, take things... Let's go from the top. Off. So these uh, are alphabetical by the author. author's surname. So the first one is The Sellout by Paul Betty. BT. BT. I've already well, made a mistake. A flying off to, start. 
New listeners will possibly not know that I'm well. I'm renowned for mangling uh, author names in particular. I mean, that was that was a straightforward. Moving swiftly one. on. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Sorry. Born in the agrarian ghetto of Dickens on the southern outskirts of Los Angeles and raised by a single father, a controversial sociologist, the narrator of the sellout spent his childhood as a subject in, in a racially charged psychological studies. He's led to believe his father's pioneering work will result in a memoir that will solve his family's financial woes. When his father is killed in a police shootout, he realises there never was a memoir. All that's left is the bill for a drive-through funeral. Ooh, blimey. Fueled by this deceit and the general disrepair of his hometown, the narrator sets out to right another wrong. Dickens has literally been removed from the map to save California from further embarrassment. Enlisting the help of the town's most famous resident, Hominy Jenkins, he initiates the most outrageous action conceivable, reinstating slavery and segregating the local high school which lands him in the Supreme Court. What follows is a remarkable journey that challenges the sacred tenets of the United States Constitution, urban life, the civil rights movement, and the holy grail of racial equality, the black Chinese restaurant. So my eyebrows were going up and down a little bit on that yeah, one. Yeah, just um, a bit. First of all, there's the narrator, no mm-hmm. mention of the main character, and then the rather interesting actions that go on after that. Yeah, possibly quite controversial. Yeah. Right. Well, that's already um, interesting. So Paul, Paul Beatty is American. Remember, we're now um, the Man Booker Prize is now open to American authors. Yeah, he's American author, three novels and two books of poetry. He lives in New York City. Interesting. Um, next on the list um, is J. M. Kurtzier, um, who is South African Australian with the School Days of Jesus. So this is the follow up to the childhood of Jesus. Uh, David is a small boy who is always asking questions. Simon and Inez take him in, uh, take care of him in their new town, Estrella. He's learning the language, he's begun to make friends, he has the big dog Bolivar to watch over him, but he'll be seven soon and he should be at school. And so, with the guidance of uh, the three sisters who own the farm where Simon and Inez works, David is enrolled in the Academy of Dance. It's here, in his new golden dancing slippers, that he learns how to call down the numbers from the sky. But it's here, too, that he will make troubling discoveries about what the grown-ups are capable of. In this mesmerising allegorical tale, Kutsia deftly grapples with the big questions of growing up, of what it means to be a parent, the constant battle between intellect and emotion, and how we choose to live our lives. So presumably, um, kind of literary readers will have heard of J.M. Kutsia. So he has won the Booker Prize before he won it in 1983 for The Life of Times of Michael Kay, and then again... Um, in 1999 with his novel Disgrace so um, and he was also awarded the Nobel Prize in uh, for literature in 2003 and he he's currently living in Australia next up is Serious Sweet by A.L. Kennedy a good man in a bad world John Sigurdsson is 59 and divorced a senior civil servant in Westminster who hates many of his colleagues and loathes his work for a government engaged in unmentionable acts a man of conscience Meg Williams is a bankrupt accountant, two words you don't want in the same sentence or anywhere near your CV. She's 45 and shakily sober, living on Telegraph Hill where she can see London unfurl below her. Somewhere out there is safety. Somewhere out there is John, pinballing around the city with a mobile phone and a letter-writing habit he can't break. He's a man on the brink, leaving government secrets and affection as he runs for his life. Serious Sweet is about two decent, damaged people trying to make moral choices in an immoral world ready to sacrifice what's left of them for honesty 
and perchance at tenderness, as John and Meg navigate the serious and the sweet heart of London, passing through 24 hours that will change them both forever, they tell a very unusual, unbearably, unbearably moving love story. Uh, A.R. Kennedy has twice been selected as Granter's Best of Young British Novelists, she's obviously British, and also uh, including the Costa Book of the Year for her novel, Day. Yeah, yeah. so um, just disclosure. Um, last two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, The School Days of Jesus is published by Hovel Secker, which is a vintage uh, imprint, and Serious Sweet is a Jonathan Cape book, which is also vintage. Uh, so the next one is Hot Milk, which is written by Deborah Levy, and that's published by Hamish Hamilton, which is um, part of Penguin. Two strangers arrive in a small Spanish fishing village. The older woman is suffering from mysterious paralysis, driven to seek a cure beyond the bounds of conventional medicine. Her daughter, Sophia, has spent years playing the reluctant detective in this mystery, struggling to understand her mother's illness. Surrounded by the oppressive desert heat, searching for a cure to a defiant and quite possibly imagined illness, Sophia is forced to confront her difficult relationship with her mother, examining female rage and sexuality. Deborah Levy explores the strange and monstrous nature of motherhood, testing the bonds of parent and child to breaking point. Um, so you might remember that um, Swimming Home was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize by this by Deborah Levy in 2012. I recall that. Um, well, uh, short story collection called Black Vodka by Deborah Levy was very well received. Um, shortlisted for the BBC International Short Story Award and the Frank O'Connor International Short Story Award. That's quite recently. Um, I love the cover of this as well. I just wanted to point out that the most beautiful picture of a young woman with um, in front of um, a lake with these incredible mountains in the background. It's just the most gorgeous cover. Um, yeah, I just thought it was rather amazing. So we are. Next up is His Bloody Project by Graham McRae uh, Burnett. The title just makes me laugh so much. His Bloody Project. Yeah, it just makes me <laughs> think of that every time, so sorry about that. In 1869, the case of Roderick McRae gripped the British public. Newspapers slavishly followed his trial, and Penny Dreadfuls gleefully described the gory details of the brutal slaying of three people in a remote crofting community. His Bloody Project recounts the story of the murders and the subsequent trial. Roderick's memoir, along with court transcripts, medical records, police statements and newspaper articles, show that the accused readily admitted his guilt, leaving only the persuasive powers of his advocates standing between him and the gallows. So why didn't he defend himself more vigorously or try to cover up the crime? Was he stupid? Insane? Or did he have another motive? Brought together, the documents relating to the case of Roderick McRae reveal much about a merciless triple murder that shocked the nation. Which they reveal just why a young man would commit the most atro atrocious acts of violence, and will he hang? Hmm, that sounds rather good. Previously, Graham McRae-Bernay was winner of the Scottish Book Trust New Writer Awards. Uh, his first novel, The Disappearance of Adele Badu, was longlisted for the Waverton Good, Good Read Award and was a cult hit. Now that's from an independent publisher, isn't it? It is. It's from Contraband. Hmm, independent Scottish publisher. Excellent. Um, so the next one on the list is published by Scribner UK, which is part of this kind of the literary imprint of Simon and Schuster. Should you be interested in knowing that sort of thing, um, it's called *The North Water* by Ian Maguire. 
Um, Behold the man, stinking, drunk, brutal and bloodthirsty, Henry Drax is a harpooner on the uh, the Volunteer, a Yorkshire whaling ship bound for the hunting waters of the Arctic Circle. Also aboard for the first time is Patrick Sumner, an ex-army surgeon with a shattered reputation, no money and no better option than to embark a ship's medic on this violent, filthy and ill-fated voyage. In India, during the Siege of Delhi, Sumner thought he had experienced the depths to which a man can stoop, but now, trapped in the wooden belly of the ship with Drax, he encounters pure evil and is forced to act. As the true purposes of the expedition become clear, the confrontation between the two men plays out in the freezing darkness of an Arctic winter. Mm. Sounds really exciting. Um, So... Ian grew up near Hull, studied at the University of Manchester and the University of Virginia, and he's the founder and co-director of the University of Manchester Centre for New Writing. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Next up is Histopia by David Means. The bitter end of the 1960s, JFK's third term in office, Vietnam rages on, a new federal agency, the Psych Corps, maintains the nation's mental health by wiping soldiers' memories through drugs and therapy, while those beyond help roam at will, reenacting atrocities on civilians. This is the vision of Eugene Allen, a 22-year-old Viet- Vietnam vet, writing this book within a book at the heart of Histopia. Histopia reveals the crazy reality of trauma, both national and personal. Uh, this is David's second collection of stories, his first... Uh, collection and... of stories? So yes, that sounds like... Hmm, interesting. Right, his third book was The Secret Goldfish, interesting title alone. Uh, his fourth was The Spot. So he's written quite a few, and he's also appeared in The New Yorker, Harper's Magazine, Esquire, uh, Best American Mystery Stories. So he's American, currently living in Nyack, New York. So I'm not quite sure what this... Uh, How is that eligible? So it's a collection of stories. Oh. oh, well, we'll look into that one. Cheeky. <laughs> I have heard that it's not that good. Oh, because I was intrigued by that. Well, I mean, read yeah. it and make up your own mind. Obviously, I'd I'd like to hear what you think. I've I've heard other people say that it's not amazing, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I've just seen. Um, so next on the list is the many by Will Menmuir. Did I write with that? Oh, you pronounced that one correct. I've got the next um, one on this. And this is published away. by Salt, which is um, one of the few independent um, publishers on the list this year. On the surface, his move to the isolated village on the coast makes perfect sense, but the experience is an unsettling one for Timothy Buchanan. A dead man no one will discuss, wasted fish hauled from a contaminated sea, the dream of faceless men, questions that lead to further questions. What truth are the villagers withholding? What fuels their interest and animosity towards him? And what pushes Timothy to dig deeper? Will Menmuir is a literary consultant and editor, has worked as a journalist, tackling gothic themes and English mysteries. His debut novel, The Many, is inspired by many of Britain's beaches, and in particular research carried out at the fishing port of uh, Cadgewith on the Lizard Peninsula. So that's Cornwall. It looks... It sounds quite fascinating. It's got a quote on the front um, from someone called Michael Marshall Smith, who I will admit I haven't heard of, saying, ominous, subtle and beautiful, intensely resonant uh, trawling of suffering's deep currents. It doesn't sound very jolly, but it sounds interesting. The cover is not what I would call attractive. No? 
Um, it seems to be x-rays of fish. Fair enough. Not, not my bag. Uh, good luck with this one. So the next one is published by Kate's... Jonathan Cape. Jonathan Cape. Uh, it's Eileen by Atessa Moshfegger. Moshfeg. Moshfeg. The Christmas season offers little cheer for Eileen Dunlop, an unassuming yet disturbed young woman trapped between her role as an alcoholic father's carer in his squalid home and her day job as a secretary at the boys' prison, filled with its own quotidian, filled with its own horrors. Quotidian. Quotidian horrors. Consumed by resentment and self-loathing, Eileen tempers her dreary days with perverse fantasies and dreams of escaping to the big city. In the meantime, she fills her nights and weekends with shoplifting, stalking a handsome prison guard named Randy and cleaning up her increasingly deranged father's messes. When the beautiful, charismatic, charismatic Rebecca St. Rebecca John arrives on the scene as the new counsellor of the prison, Eileen is enchanted and unable to resist what appears to be a miraculously budding friendship. In a Hitchcockian twist, her affection for Rebecca pulls her into complicity in a crime that surpasses her wildest imaginings. So we actually recommended this as one to watch at the beginning of the year. Have you read it? Uh, I have not read it We have not yet. yet. Right, okay. But Simon has, and he enjoyed it. Yeah, Yeah. he really enjoyed it. Basically, everyone who I've spoken to who I know in person who, who has read it, has thought it was really good. I know there have been a couple of listeners who read it and thought there were some bits that were quite graphic. Mm. So I would say if you are listening and you are of a particularly sensitive disposition, there are some bits that are quite graphic. But bear in mind what we have just read out. It is set in a prison. There are bits to do with mental illness. There are bits to do with committing crime. So just bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, but it is there in the description, and it is a very twisty, turny thriller. There are going to be some crimey bits. But people who I know in person who have read it and who like that sort of very gothic, horror-y sort of crime have thought it was brilliant. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I am going to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know regardless I mean what we normally do is we normally split the shortlist between us once it's picked um, but regardless I think I would like to read it yeah so I will get round to it sort of too many things to read um, so next on the list is another one for Scribner it's Work Like Any Other by Virginia Reeves Alabama 1920s Roscoe T. Martin is an electrician by trade it's what he loves where his talents lie but when his wife Marie inherits her father's failing farm he must give up his livelihood at great cost to his sense of self his marriage and his family realising he might lose them all he starts siphoning electricity from the state power lines ushering in a brief period of bounty and happiness then a young man is electrocuted on Roscoe's illegal lines and everything changes Roscoe is arrested, the farm falls back into decay and Marie abandons him to face his 20 year prison sentence alone Oh, harsh. So Virginia is a graduate of the Michener Centre for Writers in the, at the University of Texas. Mm. Interesting. Next up is My Name is Lucy Barton by Elizabeth Strout. Lucy Barton is recovering slowly from what should have been a simple operation. Her mother, to whom she hasn't spoken for many years, comes to see her. Her <coughs> unexpected visit Sorry. forces Lucy to confront the tension and longing that have informed every aspect of her life. Her impoverished childhood in Illinois 
Her escape to New York and her desire to become a writer, her faltering marriage, her love for her two daughters. In My Name is Lucy Barton, Strout shows how a simple hospital visit illuminates the most tender relationship of all, the one between mother and daughter. And she previously won the Pulitzer Prize mm. for Olive Kitteridge, as well as the Burgess Boys, and she currently lives in New York. And um, I mean, Olive Kitteridge has been um, sent to a TV it has, uh, show. She's also been a finalist for the Orange Prize. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got a copy of that. So we also have a copy around the house of All That Man Is. So that's published by Jonathan Cape, which has, has a rather amazing cover, actually, of different interlocking maps. Uh, nine men, each of them at different stage of life, each of them away from home, and each of them striving in the suburbs of Prague, beside a Belgian motorway, in a crap Cypriot hotel, <laughs> to understand just what it means to be alive here and now. And I, I would also add what it means to be alive as a man. Tracing an arc from the spring of youth to the winter of old age, all that man is brings these separate lives together to show us men as they are. Ludicrous and inarticulate, shocking and despicable, vital, pitiable, hilarious and full of heartfelt longing. As the weather gets colder and the men get older, the stakes become bewilderingly high. <laughs> Uh, so this is by David Saloy. David is uh, the author of three previous novels, Spring, The Innocent and London in the Southeast, for which he was awarded the Betty Trask and Geoffrey Faber Memorial Prizes. And he has lived in Canada and Belgium and he's now based in Budapest. Mm. Which leaves me with Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeleine Thien. In Canada in 1991, 10-year-old Marie and her mother invite a guest into their home a young woman called Aiming, who fled China in the aftermath of the Tiananmen Square protests. Aiming tells Marie the story of her family in revolutionary China, from the crowded tea houses in the first day of Chairman Mao's ascent to the Shanghai Conservatory in the 1960s, and the events leading to the Beijing demonstrations of 1989. It is a story of revolutionary idealism, music and silence, in which three musicians, the shy and brilliant composer Sparrow, the violin prodigy Julie, and the enigmatic pianist Kai, struggled during China's relentless cultural revolution to remain loyal to one another and to the music they had devoted their lives to. Forced to reimagine their artistic and private selves, their fates reverberate through the years with deep and lasting consequences for A. Ming and for Marie. Mm -hmm. Madeline is the daughter of a Malaysian Chinese immigrant to Canada, currently living in Montreal. She's also written essays for Grant, The Guardian and Financial Times. And her short story, The Wedding Cake, was shortlisted for the 2015 Sunday Times Short Story Award last year. Yeah. So there we are. That is this year's Book a Dozen. I mean, just on the face of it, and based on what you've heard, is there, is there anything that stands out to you there? Is there anything that just sort of takes your fancy? Uh, well, despite what you thought, what you might have heard, uh, Histopia uh, sort of is one for me. I think Eileen as well. Um, my name is Lucy Barton, based on the acclaim for her previous work. Yep. Sounds interesting. Maybe All That Man Is, possibly? Yeah, I, I think you would quite enjoy that, actually. I mean, I've, I've read bits of it already, mm. um, and I think you would find it quite funny, actually. Um, so they're, they're not short stories, exactly. They're, they're like, because they're longer than a short yep. story. They're kind of interwoven, these, and, and each, each man gets, they're, it's like the different ages of man, if you like. Yeah, so you're, you're, it's, like, it's a bit like seeing a person grow up. 
Oh, right. But yeah, it, it's it's quite, it's sort of a bit funny and tragic and a bit pathetic. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and it's it's certainly not sugarcoating anything or romanticising anything. Um, <laughs> well, I, I've yeah. been warned. There we go. So, yeah, don't don't expect any amazing heroic men here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, it's, it's an enjoyable read. Um, I think also women, if you want to, if you want to read something where you're kind of nodding your head at some, I mean, where it said pitiable, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So, what about you? Well, there's, I mean, as I've sort of intimated there, there's some of them that obviously I have a bit of previous knowledge about, but there's also some that I would like to investigate. So there's some vintage ones that I just haven't had a chance to read yet, unfortunately, even though they've been out for a while. Like Eileen, I really definitely do want to read and I just haven't had a chance to get round to it. And, but people that I know whose opinion that I trust have told me that I'm really going to enjoy it. So I definitely need to read that. I really want to read The North Water. I just think it sounds like something I'm going to really enjoy. I really fancy reading Hot Milk um, and probably the Madeleine Tien, Do Not Say We Have Nothing Mm. as well, I think. I don't know about the other... um, Probably My Name Is Lucy Barton, actually. Um, Although... I, I get slightly put I think unlike you I get a bit put off when lots of people go on about something it tends to make me not want to read it uh, it depends on the so. the prize I mean the Pulitzer Prize is pretty oh yeah no I know it's just so so many people yeah. were going on about it and it kind of made me go oh, I can probably mm-hmm. get get to that another time I don't know um but then also, I'd sort of, I've got a copy of Serious Sweet, and I picked up a copy when it originally came out and thought, that does sound good. Um, but then I hadn't felt necessarily an urgency to read it because it wasn't a book I was working on, that, which is the A.L. Kennedy. Because obviously when you're working on certain books, you tend to think about those Whereas, again, now I'm kind of going, oh, maybe I should mm. come back to that. So, yeah, maybe I'll have another look at that one. Well, as you mentioned, uh, Kate and I are soon off on our holiday. We're planning on going up to, I think, about Edinburgh at the moment, mm. aren't we? So we're planning... Uh, this is actually... Oh, this uh, next week. Yeah, we need to uh, so make a decision swiftly. We do. So we... I've both picked three books that we're going to briefly talk about for our holiday reading. I'm assuming that we're going to Edinburgh because that kind of dictates some of the books. But did you want to go first? Because you've actually picked one of the Booker books as well, I have, one yes. to take. I actually have. So my um, Booker book that I've picked is The North Water, which was very kindly sent to me by uh, a lovely person at, uh, at Scribner. So... Yeah, I just, I fancied this quite a while ago, actually, and I, what did I send in return? I sent a, a proof copy of Fen, which is a lovely short story collection that we published by Daisy Johnson. Um, just, you know, I'll just mention that because it's really good. But, um, yeah, I just really fancied reading it, and it seems like it's what I like. It's an adventure. There we go. It's an adventure. And there's no reason 
This is something that annoyed me a few years ago when people got their knickers in a twist about it. There's no reason that something can't be really well written and a really high quality literary book and also exciting Mm. and enjoyable. Something doesn't have to be literary and therefore stuffy and hard. And it annoys me when people make it seem like those things have to go hand in hand. Uh, will self <laughs> so there we are so this is a book a book which is also exciting that i've had actually on my shelf for ages and i'm now taking the excuse to go yeah i think this is actually be quite a good holiday read so um the north water by ian mcguire is coming on holiday with me so that's my first holiday read uh over to you my first choice is one of yours Ooh. It's Ian McEwan's Nutshell. So after I saw him... Hot off the press. Hot off the press. I'm holding a finished copy in my hands. Uh, so I saw him talk and read from the first chapter, or first bit yes, of the chapter anyway. Yes, that was before it had even been printed. At your vintage uh, indie book sale, booksellers night. I'll just do the short synopsis in case anyone doesn't know what this is about. Now that uh, you can actually tell people. Was I not allowed to tell people at the time? I can't remember what it was. I don't think well, I did. Did I? Um, I think you might have just said very vaguely. (laughs) Ah, right. Well, here we go. Trudy has betrayed her husband, John. She's still in the marital home, a dilapidated, priceless London townhouse, but John's not here. Instead, she's with his brother, the profoundly banal Claude, and the two of them have a plan. There's a witness to their plot, the inquisitive, nine-month-old resident of Trudy's womb. Told from a perspective unlike any other, Nutshell is a classic tale of murder and deceit from one of the world's master storytellers. So I have to confess, when I heard who the what the book was narrated by, I was a bit worried. But you're allowed to say what that is Well, now. it's narrated from the womb, isn't it? Yes. So I was a bit sort of like, ooh, this could go a bit wrong. But luckily, the reviews that have come out in the last week or so have been absolutely glowing, very positive. Mm. So that has, uh, you know, calmed me down a bit. So I'm going <laughs> to give it a go. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because... You could be like, oh dear, and just see it as a bit of a clickbait thing. Yeah. But when he read that first section, it was so funny. And it's clearly such, on the one hand, it is tongue-in-cheek. But on the other hand, it's done with such affection for Shakespeare. And then also, it's clearly such a fun story and the prose was so good, you can't help but kind of go, just go with it. Yeah, I, I, it was it was very funny. It's really nice turns. That did that at the time did make me less worried. But obviously, the whole thing is a package. Yeah. Um, once it's released into the world, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's what that's my one. Cool. Okay. So my second one is actually a proof from work and it's not out until February next year, but I have nabbed proof of it because um, when it was presented at our launch meeting, it just sounded so good that I didn't want to wait to read it. Um, So it's called Idaho uh, by Emily Ruskovich. And I I took a picture of it um, and put it on Instagram a little while ago and loads of people said what a lovely cover it had and the cover of the proof 
is this incredible kind of almost like tropical floral kind of pattern. I think a couple of people said they wanted like a t-shirt made out of the, um, the cover. Um, so I'll read you just a, a little bit. Um, so on the back it says, Jenny opens the truck door. On the dashboard is a styrofoam cup filled with lemonade. She gets into the passenger seat. She takes the cup in her left hand and gulps. Cool, sharp on the roof of her mouth. She waits for the sugar to, pu- to push through her veins. She sees the forest behind, uh, beyond the white rim of her cup. She closes her eyes. The hatchet is still in her hand, hanging out the door. One hot August day, a family drives to, the mount- to a mountain clearing to collect birchwood. Jenny, the mother is in charge of lopping any small logs off, uh, limbs off the logs with a hatchet. Wade, the father, does the stacking. The two daughters, June and May, aged nine and six, drink lemonade, swat away horseflies, bicker, sing snatches of songs as they while away the time. Then something unimaginably shocking happens, an act so extreme it will scatter the family in every different direction. In a story told from multiple perspectives... And in razor-sharp prose, we gradually learn more about this act and the way its violence, love and memory reverberate through the family in every character in Idaho. Um, it comes with loads of fantastic recommendations um, from all sorts of people. Um, but it just, yeah, when it was presented in our in our mm. like monthly launch meeting, it just sounded so fantastic. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to get cracking on it it sounds i mean i don't think it's necessarily going to be particularly jolly but um i think it's going to be brilliantly written i think it's going to be really gripping so i'm looking forward to giving that one a try so there we go uh what is your next one my next one is strike lightning which is the third of steve cole's young bonds oh yeah i'm actually this is me reading more YA look yes yeah uh, annoyingly, I got the email from Amazon saying I can go and pick up the copy. It wasn't there, so I can't get my hands on it till tomorrow. But uh, here's, the, here's the the blurb. A flash of lightning illuminates a horrific sight. What his school claims was a tragic accident James Bond suspects was murder. In search of the truth and revenge, Bond risks his life to learn of a new secret weapon that could change the course of history. The trail leads across Europe to a ruthless warmonger who stands ready to unleash hell upon the world. To survive, James must brave traps, trials, and terrifying experiments, and triumph over his most powerful opponent yet. So this is the time period before World War Two. Okay, so can I ask a couple of things? So when I was reading the Charlie Higson Young Bond, because I yeah. I haven't read on since then. Okay. So they got to the point at the end of the Charlie Higson Young Bond, where. He was, like, about 16. Yes, so this carries on from then. Okay. So Possibly not 16, maybe a little bit. 15, 16. 15, yeah. 16. Yeah. Okay. And so, he was kicked out of Eton. Yes, that was so what I was going to ask about. Oh, so this is where it says school. New, this is him at his new school. Okay. Which is all what Fleming wrote. It's all still in okay, so that's, canon. Right, okay. Yes. So that's what I was going to ask about, because I wasn't sure about how that fitted in with... With well, he has a lot of adventures on some school holidays. Okay. Uh, the first right. Steve Cole was when they go to America, then the second right. one was more in around Cuba. They're very tied together. This, I think, he must have come back from school, okay. start of a new year, and then something happens. Okay. So, so yeah. those happen in quite a short space yeah. of time. Best not to think about it. 
<laughs> That's what I've learned. Best not to think about it. But this is the second one now in a. In, well, I in like a year. to. I like to have, yes. have these things straight no, in absolutely. my mind. It's important. So, what is your important. last choice? Okay, uh, my third choice is "Mother Tongue" by Julie Mayhew. So, this is YA actually. Um, so. Julie, this is her third book. Um, I haven't read Red Ink, but um, I have read The Big Lie, which is a, a kind of alternate reality, what if the Nazis had won World War II mm. kind of book, oh, yeah. uh, which is quite interesting. So it's set in the equivalent of the present day, uh, but as if the Nazis had won. Um, so this, Mother Tongue, um, is set in um, Eastern Europe, so it says, uh, I do not like the English word bang. Where is the crack down the middle? Uh, babak. Where is the fracture that separates uh, them from every uh, everything else? Daria Ivanova is looking forward to September. She's looked. Uh, she has looked after her little sister Nika since she was a baby. Now Nika is starting school. Maybe Daria can find a job with her own tidy desk. Perhaps even a boyfriend. But when an unimaginable tragedy strikes, Daria's life plans are fractured, stalled. She is afraid. What if she never knows real love? What if she never finds somewhere she belongs? If only she could get to Moscow, there Daria could escape, there she could become someone else. So this is set in Eastern Europe. Um, it's set around uh, the idea of um, an invasion and um around yeah a tra i don't i don't really want to give away too much okay yeah yep. um but if you've been sort of maybe about five years ago or so if you remember the the sort of fighting around the caucasus mm. around the area that was sort of near to turkey um next to russia with the smaller countries where they were like some of them were loyal to Russia and some of them weren't. Um, and there was a lot of sort of yeah. civil war and fighting around there. It's kind of set around that sort of area um, with sort of people um, attacking each other, basically. Mm. So there we are. Um, but I think Julie is a fantastic writer. Um, she's very feminist. She's very political. Um, and she's very engaged in life. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reading this. I think it'll be really interesting. Again, not necessarily the most jolly choice. No? Okay, well. But um, I think it'd be really good. I think it'd be really gripping. So, yeah. Um, what is your third choice? Well, my last choice is working on the principle that we're going to Edinburgh. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm working on that. So I've yeah. gone for an Ian Rankin. Oh, okay. There's always been someone that I've followed on Twitter... Really yeah. good on Twitter, but never actually read any of his books. Right. So, Knots and Crosses is book one of his Inspector Rebus cool, uh, okay. series. If I like it, I've got a lot of catching up to do, as there is currently 20 books now. But do you know, I nearly I nearly took a Val McDermott book, actually. Right, well, there we are. Uh, so, this is set in Edinburgh. So, this is the blurb. Uh, this is a speech here. Yeah. And in Edinburgh, of all places, I mean, you never think of that sort of thing happening in Edinburgh, do you? That sort of thing is the brutal abduction and murder of two young girls, and now a third is missing, presumably gone to the same sad end. 
Detective Sergeant John Reavers, smoking and drinking too much, his own young daughter spirited away south by his disenchanted wife, is one of many policemen hunting the killer. And then the messages begin to arrive, knotted string and matchstick crosses, taunting Reavers with a puzzle, with a piece of a puzzle only he can solve. Mm. Uh, so yes, yeah, so hopefully I will like that, and I'll have lots to catch up on. Mm. He brings out about one every year, um, so I've had lots of good things about. Well, I think I mean they're probably quite them. quick to read. I think possibly, yeah. There's also been a TV adaptation, I believe yep. there was. Yeah, there so, is. Yeah, uh, very popular. I'll try and read that one before we go. Then, if there are any places that are mentioned, you know, I can be annoying. Do the Rebus tour. I can oh be yeah, I mean there's there yeah. actually there literally is a Rebus tour. <laughs> well, maybe a, a bit much. To go on a tour after one book. But anyway, um, there we are. That's my choice. So I'm cool. try and work out what order to read them in. It'll probably be the Rebus first. So I'll have read it. Yeah. And if I can read them all quite quickly, I might read another one. But anyway, there we go. So those are our holiday reads. Yeah, we've gone for slightly different tones there. So I've got some... You know, You've gone a bit more light-hearted than me, I think. Yeah. I've got <laughs> some... Yeah, I mean, Ian McEwan, Mystery Fiction, I've gone for some YA and I've gone for some crime. Cool. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've gone for more death, but lots you know, of death. Yeah. There we go. Quite a lot of death. Well, do let us know if you've got any thoughts on any of the uh, Booker books that you've read so far. Yeah, or any we'd other love ones. to hear your um, yeah your feedback on what you've read because obviously we have got quite a lot of catching up to do. We do. So you can send us an email, contactedadventureswithwords.com. You can send us a tweet at Word Adventures. We're also on Facebook. And you can leave a comment under the blog at adventureswithwords.com. That's all for this week. Uh, Simon and I will be getting together and doing Literary Unplanned at some point. He is, he's coming down south as well this week. Mm. Two days at, at Carmelite House where I work. So what could possibly go wrong? Goodness only knows. It's a terrifying thought. Um, and I'll be back soon with Darren talking all things YA, including um, should middle-aged women even read YA or are we causing uh, the whole thing to combust and are we causing teenage boys to become effectively illiterate? Well, good luck with that one then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've been Rob. You can follow me during the week on Twitter, Instagram, Litzy, and on Snapchat at Rob Chilver. God, so greedy. Um, you can follow me during the week on Twitter, Instagram, and on Litzy uh, at Magic underscore Kitten. You're not even giving up. You're giving up on Snapchat. No, I'm not Fair even going to bother. Okay. <laughs> well, Kate and I should be back in a fortnight, which will be after our holiday yes it yes, will be after our holiday um, but right. we'll be on all of those other things in between if you would like to follow our adventures so that's it for this week and thank you for listening <laughs> maybe you're not quite aware of this concept of science <laughs> <laughs> you can use that as an outtake if you want yeah